And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 27 of PNR's This Old Marketing. I'm recording live on Monday, May 19th of 2014 from beautiful, sunny Los Angeles, California. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Won't you consider reviewing our little one hour of ear-to-ear grin? Just go to iTunes and let the world know what you think. And while you're there, we hope you'll consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher or, you know, just open up CompuServe, crank up Netscape Navigator, and surf on over to the super information highway to thisoldmarketing.com where you can find the show notes and general stuff we talk about here. And also, as I just mentioned, and once again, at least for at least another few hours, I think, coming from Cleveland, Ohio, my good, good friend, the ABBA of content marketing, <laughs> Mr. Joe Polizzi. Joe, you're off to uh, the lovely land of Sweden, yeah. I Yes, heard. I leave uh, tomorrow for uh, Gothenburg. <laughs> and by the way, does does our audience even know CopyServe? I mean, do they remember? I, we have to check and see how our audience skews in age. I throw those little Easter eggs. I throw those little Easter eggs in there for some of our oh, older listeners. used to love remember. the Netscape Navigator. I mean, that was that Absolutely. Was the... Remember when it used to come on CD? You used to have to install that thing from CD and then go on your CompuServe account with your 735.779, you know, your number and all oh, that. Man. And I was a prodigy guy. I really, I mean, that was my, I had that Prodigy email account. I didn't want to let it go. JWP7 at Prodigy.net. Bring it on. I, I got to go get, mine get was, that. <laughs> mine, was, uh, mine was because of the Princess Bride. Mine was Dread Pirate RR. <laughs> it takes a little while. You got to let that one settle in. A no, bit. I like it. Very appropriate, yeah. my friend. How was Sundance, by the way? How- uh, Sundance was beautiful. Uh, a very mind-expanding Amazing place. I mean, Sundance, Utah is just a beautiful place to go and sit anyway, but it was just, uh, it was extraordinarily relaxing and a great place to sit and sort of think big thoughts for three or four days. You know, and I have to say this, I just thought of it. My, one of my usernames, I can't remember what account it was, but it was To Blave. To Blave. To Blave. <laughs> another, to blave. another Princess Bride <laughs> reference. All right. I think we. Moving on to the news because we have a lot to cover this week. It is a big news week. Um, And the first top of the story, this one I think is just – this might be the biggest content news uh, for certainly for digital marketing I think that may have come out in this This might be the show. This might be the whole show. We might just spend yeah, it on it is, it, is a, it is a big piece here. So the New York Times, um, a leaked report. Um, th- this is being covered all over the place, so you, you won't miss it anywhere. A bunch of people, Scott Monty has covered this, Neiman Labs, the journalism folks have covered this. So basically, just to tee this up, because I, I, you, from where you come from, Joe, I so want to get your take on this. Basically, last Wednesday, the New York Times fired – Jill Abramson, who was the executive editor uh, of the New York Times and replaced her. Um, And uh, and basically the 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 reasons for her firing, you know, range from she wasn't doing her job to she didn't have a digital strategy to all sorts of stuff. And that sort of come. But what happened a few days later was the really interesting part. And what we're going to talk about here was that there was a leaked report which was very formal, and it was basically from their innovation team. So their innovation team has been spending the last six months looking at the New York Times, sort of saying, how do we need to innovate in this new era of digital publishing, content, social, etc.? And they came out with a report, and what was leaked was the short version. Well, after her firing, somehow, the full report got leaked, 
and is now available for reading. And it's a hundred pages of just goodness. And it is just amazing. I mean, did you see this thing? Have you have, have you seen some of the reports? No, on this? I'm, I'm I have it. I'm going to no. I've read the articles that we're talking about here, but I haven't gone through the report because I'm for a number of reasons outside the fact that I spent the day on the couch yesterday recovering from a half marathon and I can now feel my legs again. But besides, besides that, no, I'm going to read it on the, on the plane to, uh, to Sweden. I want, I really want to, I mean, you went through the whole thing, correct? I did. Oh, yeah. Let's, so, let's hear I mean, it. I have not, I want to, well, I haven't read the whole thing in detail, but I have skimmed through the entire hundred pages and I'm going back now actually tonight and, and reading the reading it's in entirety, but it basically separates. So it's from the innovation team and they identify the members of the innovation team here. And I have to tell you, for anybody who's in business and is looking at really innovation in their organization for digital marketing, this reads like a treatise. I mean, it it is – you could basically put your logo on this, stick it in front of your boss and go, we need to be thinking about this. I mean, they they separate it into uh, roughly four or five different sections, and they talk about – you know how they need to a grow an audience, b collaborating with the business side of the of, of the organization so that they can focus on user experience, having a newsroom strategy team to really focus on how to repackage and reuse content, and really creating an entire digital first organization. I mean, it just reads like a business plan for a digital marketing organization, and then they go into great detail on what their recommendations are and how the New York Times should go about doing this. And I mean, there's just, I mean, there's so much great information there in terms of what they discovered in their interviews of the entire organization and what they found. I mean, not the least of which, just an example, they found that the value of their homepage is almost nothing now. Only a third of their readers ever go to the New York Times homepage. And they actually show the traffic decreasing over time. They go, they, they talk about how the Times has got to be willing to experiment more about how they present its content, and they talk about how Huffington Post and BuzzFeed and Upworthy and all these, these you know, despite what they call listicles and cat videos, are just killing them, and in some cases even using their own content well, against them. They talk about how when, uh, what was the movie, um, 12 Years a Slave came out, they actually... BuzzFeed actually pulled, or Huffington Post actually pulled an article from the New York Times, packaged it in a way, and did a biography of the guy who was featured in that movie, and basically used their own content against them. I mean, it's just amazing some of the insights in this. Well, that was that really hit me. I mean, there's a lot of things that I want to go through and I want to get your take on, but the one thing that just about the Times is it reminded me what what are those fish that live off of whales? You know that the whales are like <laughs> oh, you mean the remora? You mean the remora fish who are actually say suck onto yes. the bottom? Yeah. That's what it's. That's what that picture tells me. Because basically, the Huffington Post and BuzzFeed and other publishers are living off of New York Times original content because they can't curate their own content as effectively as other properties are. The, the whole thing. A, the yeah, whole thing about exactly the Mandela it. story. They basically go in this yeah. report and they they talk about how um, the. You know the the times they had multiple stories on Mandela, but they got a very small portion of the traffic because that all went to Huffington Post and BuzzFeed and those places who basically curated content that the that the New York Times was talking about. 
So yeah. it's, um, they have 150, 150 years of content on the website, and they have not repackaged or figured out a way to, to, to reuse this content in ebooks or you know other things like that. It's just and the recommendations, and you can feel the rawness from the team that coming through that, right? You can just feel them going their frustration with the inability of the business to sort of evolve. Well, you want to kind of go through. I mean, I've got my list of, of takeaways. I think for content marketers, do you want to go through some of these? I mean, that's where. I think that's well, that's where I'd love to start. I mean, I mean, God, there's just yeah, I mean, this thing is where so do you rich. go? We'll have to, we might so have rich. to cover it next week uh, in more <laughs> in more detail. Well, go ahead. Just I mean, just a couple. I mean, so for example, they 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 talk about this idea of uh, of 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 you know structured content so that they can actually uh, what they're what they're talking about here is all of this content that they have is not stored in any structured way that helps them reuse or repackage it. And that they can just take these simple steps and you can just feel the frustration in their voice when they're writing this. That here we can actually take just simple steps to structure the data using categorization to really enable us to reuse it and, and, um, and, and, and reuse it and repackage it in a different way. Um, there's another one talking about how they are not at all leveraging sort of the, the independent uh, uh, and to the extent that they have leveraged independent social media self-promotion efforts by the reporters and stuff, it's been great. But they're not getting it. They're not getting a bunch of. They're not getting any, any real compliance at all uh, across that. Um, I mean, just a ton of stuff here. I mean, you could just sit here and 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 and, and read through some of these takeaways that. Uh, uh, that you could highlight for your own business and just, you know, because we tend to think of the New York Times as someone who's sort of forward-leaning in this space and some of the stuff that you're like, really? They they don't do this? I mean, it's it's Well, I mean, amazing. it's... We we run into this with a lot of... Even the a lot of the companies that we think are the uh, leading the way in content marketing. They are creating huge content programs without thinking about, okay, are we creating this with a process that we can reuse and adapt this content and repackage it on an ongoing, I mean, for any device. I mean, just like we're not even at the point, Robert, where we're talking about wearables yet. What are we going to do as companies when everybody's wearing our content? I mean, if we don't have it in a way that we can, okay, put the content into a system that we can find it, that when you talk about packaging, that hit me hard that they were really trying to figure out they have – decades of recipes decades of recipes yeah. that they can't get together in a basic recipe book because it's not categorized by ingredient right. which you would have thought that maybe five years ago they'd have gone through and said okay hey we got to do this now somebody let, let's do it and get it done well they're still struggling with that hey, here's one of these here's a quote that I just that just leaps out at me so one of the uh, advisors said, basically, they've completely abdicated the role of strategy. I mean, I know this is a hot button for you, right? They've completely abdicated the role of strategy. The quote is, we just don't do strategy. The newsroom is really being dragged behind the galloping horse of the business side. I mean, does that sound familiar wow. to anybody where, where, where these sort of random acts of content that just get thrown up because we don't actually codify some sort of focused strategy about why we're doing content to begin with and and then and then they follow that up by talking about how the business side was doing some work um, on looking at the business uh, of the of the newspaper but in in the cases senior leaders were unaware that these conversations were even happening 
despite the newsroom's growing interest in both subjects about repackaging content and the way that they would use uh, content from the bit. It just, I mean, it's... it's, it's yeah, so there's a, co- a couple of things. I know we want we have other news stories, but there's a couple of things that I think they're important takeaways for, for people and businesses listening to this. And we get it all the time, right? It's like, hey, we don't have enough content. Well, we've, we as businesses have plenty of content. Of course, the Times is more content than almost any company on the face of the earth. But the one thing you realize by going through parts of this report is that they need a full-time group to be almost a content curator within their own content to constantly look at the content you have and find out are there new stories and new ways that we can tell that it seems like the times needs more of that i know they have some of that but it sounds like they need more of that because what what's happening now is you're getting the huff posts and the buzzfeeds to do that job for them and they're getting all the traffic they're reaping the rewards of the of the new york times asset and they're not moving fast enough. So that's one thing. I'm thinking, boy, you know, even for us, Robert, I mean, I'm almost thinking maybe we should get a full-time content curator just to look at our stuff, the stuff we've already done. I mean, because you and I, we've been, course, we've been yeah. doing this yeah. for, you know, five to seven years now of content that we have, and we don't repackage it well anyways. The one thing that I thought, and this is really where it hit hard on the brand side, the newsroom's in charge of Twitter and the business side's in charge right. of Facebook. Yeah. Isn't that enterprise right. content yeah. right there? I mean, gosh, I mean, look, I mean, my major takeaway, if you're responsible for digital marketing, or digital content, or just the communication strategy in your business, go read this yeah. thing. I mean, it is going to either make you go, well, I'm glad somebody else has got the same problems I do, or there's going to be a lot of insight in there. Well, the, the last, so I don't know if, we, and, I, and I don't want to keep harping on it, but this last point, and uh, Scott Monty in his article, and we'll link to it, of course, does a great job. This strategy piece is really insightful, and it's a lot of what you're talking about with your content creation management team where it's basically yeah. they're putting together a group of, you know, get a journalism expert, a technology expert, UX expert, uh, product analytics, and put that together. And those people then inform a senior leader on the content team so that those insights will be used in the organization. Yeah. I thought that was yeah. incredible. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about with this horizontal layer of, you know, the content marketing can't be a department. It has to be this thing that because you have all the silos and the, all the different goals that PR and corporate com and HR and IT, they all have their own goals. But, you know, con- content runs throughout all of those. And it's got to have a cohesive strategy. And right now, almost every organization doesn't have one of those, including the New York Times. So That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, um, I mean, go read it. Go read it and 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 enjoy it. You'll, you'll you'll get something out of it for sure. Okay, moving on. Well, speaking of journalists and marketers and journalists versus marketers, um, really interesting. I thought blog posts coming out of Contently, our good friends at Contently, and uh, it's Natalie Berg of Contently. She goes through a number of steps and talking about how journalists and marketers can get together and actually get along while working in a content marketing organization. Um, I mean, I don't know what you thought about this. I, I, I really like this article. I thought it was a it was a really nice sort of setup piece for having that conversation in many organizations where now journalists are starting to invade the marketing space and vice versa. And I think my favorite quote that comes out of it is, 
where uh, the, the, the someone that they actually talk to in the business that are that are sort of setting these things and really dealing with these things, where they say, journalists can make your thing relevant to that conversation. Storytelling is fitting in with what people are already saying, and then you add your point of view in there, and that's what journalists are really good at. And then the marketer sort of balancing that with the needs and goals of the business is 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 that balance there and i thought that was just a a, a great insightful piece what well by think? the way we have a couple of our friends you know rob yogel who's now vp yeah. of marketing at yeah, gaggle sure. has a yeah. couple quotes in here brendan knoyer yeah. uh, from brain shark has a couple quotes in here so really really good takes on it and of course i have to come back to, to native advertising a little bit on this one ding, 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 thank ding, you very ding, much ding. ring the bell <laughs> Uh, because w- you did that last week I, too. You got the you got the first mention of native advertising. Uh, I'm, I really have to because I love when you ring the bell. Um, that's right, a, that's well, the way way go. it goes. What's interesting is to make this work, and this is the same thing that we're struggling with on the New York Times side. And they talked about it in the last report. But the fact that the 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 storytelling folks, the journalism folks, have to be on sta- on the same page with the bus- with the line of business has right. to, and that's where. If you have the clean cut, which frankly never really existed, you can say it existed, but the church and state thing never really existed. Today, it just doesn't exist. It's almost like we're getting to a point where we just have to understand we're always selling something in our content, and it's okay. Yeah. We just don't have to be like a used car salesman about it, right? I mean, isn't that, isn't that it? I mean, even even well, if even if you're on CNN or or if you're on the New York well, Times, we'll, you're all yeah, you're always selling something because there's sure. a, there's a money I mean, coming in some way, and of course we we're selling stories to get something else. And I think if we just understand that, and we almost look it in the eye and say that's okay. Now, how do we really tell amazing stories? And if we focus on the user needs, it's going to help our business goals. Sure. And I think there's, you know, I mean, this gets to a lot of what we've talked about in workshops and and, and conferences and stuff, which is this idea of purpose-driven content, right? So content that actually has a mission, has a goal behind it. And certainly the journalistic approach, right? So approaching things from that sort of journalism point of view has the idea of telling a story from that perspective, you know, whether it's investigative journalism or whether you're trying to tell both sides of the story, the who, what, why, where, and when of all of that, that has one approach. Then there's the storytelling that comes out of classic mythology and actually just telling a structured story. Both of them together have points of view. You are, you know, every story is an argument for something. You are actually making an argument, making a point to try and uh, communicate something. And in that, inherently, is some sort of idea. You are either trying to communicate a belief or change a belief. And it, so, yes, the, you know, and in today's world, especially, the only way that it works in marketing is to have that point of view. You know, so, so it, it, it will, je- you know, if you are truly, if you are truly, and this is, I think, a very hard place to get to, if you are truly objective, then it's not marketing. Right. And, and then it's it's probably not content marketing. Well, I think the one thing is, and this has been really helpful for a lot of the companies we've worked with to bridge that gap because it runs in every company. Right. You've got some journalist or some person that says, hey, I'm really focused on the customer's needs or the user's needs. And then on the sales side, somebody wants to sell something. I think right. if there's an agreed upon outcome of the content that you can share with the sales team. So if you are 
uh, if you're on the content side and you create an editorial calendar, we've been talking about you're creating this content marketing mission. You add a line in your spreadsheet or your post or your divvy or your at task or however you do it, right? And you put that line in there and you say, what is the outcome for this story? And if you share that outcome with the sales team, I think they'll start to get it. But if you don't put that outcome and you understand, hey, we need this outcome for the story because the reader has to get this out of it. They have to make more money. They have to save time. They have to do something. And that's how we know it'll be more successful. Then I think you get a little bit more uh, latitude from the sales side if you do it. Well, that's a great point. I mean, basically, in the absence of a goal, one will be created that's for That's right. You, right? And so, and so if you don't have a point of view or a goal for this thing – don't be surprised when one is created for you and one is suggested and you end up having a debate and you don't have a side to that debate because you haven't created a purpose. Well, it's, it's, like, your, it's like when you do your workshops, when you go through the five whys and you, that yeah. whole thing. Well, if you say, oh, well, this, the goal is to be relevant to the customers, the goal is to meet their needs, I would keep asking why, why, why until you finally say, right. we got to save them money. <laughs> they have right, to exactly, save money right, at the end right. of the day, or they have to save. They'll die exactly if they don't, if do they this. don't read this post. <laughs> they'll die of hunger. You know, it's got to get down to something right. that's meaningful. And I think when you get down to the meaning, that it cuts through all the clutter about this is what a good story is and this is what it isn't. And I think everybody just is a lot happier. And then that newsroom thing that they're talking about in this uh, in this post will work. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, and speaking of which. Um, if we start looking at uh, content marketing and, and why content marketing fails, uh, this is a really sort of a very, really just a, a related article here. I mean, it's ended up being a slide share. It comes from uh, Rand Fishkin, um, very smart guy from Moz, um, formerly SEO Moz, now just Moz. And it's uh, when 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 you first sent me this, Joe, I, I was like. Didn't we do an art? Didn't we cover an article last week entitled "Why Content Marketing Fails" and we just sort of ragged yeah, all exactly. over it? So I want to make sure that we're clear. This is not that article. This is a it has the same title, um, but a much better piece of content. Um, and uh, it's on SlideShare. It's an eighty some odd slide uh, deck that really talks through content marketing and the reasons that you get frustrated with content marketing. Um, and it's, I thought it was just really, really good stuff. And at the end, I mean, I won't spoil it for you. Go out and read it. It's a wonderful, wonderful takeaway. But it's really about building trust and consistency. And, you know, and, and to the thing you talk about, Joe, all the time, a consistent process um, of a content marketing program is, is, is really the secret here, what he says. Well, I think first, shout out to Nanad Senek, who sent this over to me, our, our, That's who's right. our European yeah. editor of Chief Content Officer magazine. Nanad, how you doing? I know you're a regular listener. Um, what I love about this is the idea, and we talk about this, about the idea of patience. He's got a couple examples in here, of, and one specifically that talked about how this woman could have stopped. It, it's his wife. Oh, I'm sorry. Jeez. That's his wife. I, I, yeah. I didn't even catch that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, what well, could have stopped at the six-month mark, could have stopped at the one-year yeah. mark. What was it? Hit two-year mark and went from you know, a couple hundred views here and there, and now does a hundred over a hundred thousand views uh, users right. a month. It's his wife's travel. Blog. There you go. It's his wife's travel. And it blog. talks yeah. about the consistency of it. And you and we all know that most corporate blogs stop, you know, before they ever get to six months uh, right. because they lose their way. So the whole, uh, that's what that's I right. loved in this message about patience. And the other thing is the idea that there's this belief that oh, if I create a really good piece of content, somebody clicks on it, then they're going to buy. 
<laughs> exactly. Right. Right. And like, exactly. really? But you know what? We get a lot of people that think that. They say, oh, we got a that's conversion in there. Why aren't they buying? And I remember this from years ago when I saw a presentation. And this is when Joe Chernoff was running content over in Eloqua. And, uh, and he's changed jobs a few times. Still a friend of the show. But Joe said at the time when Eloqua did their analysis of their own content marketing, he said the number, the best number to create the best possible customer for them looking at their marketing automation system was eight. And that's eight touches, eight touches of content. And that, for however they measured what a great customer was, whether they stayed longer, you know, they bought more, whatever, they talked more about the company, whatever the case was, I was always amazed by the fact that, yes, it's eight and it happens over a six month to 12 month period of time. Takes a long time to get there, and that's exactly what that Rand's saying in this, and that's what I love about it. That is such an important point, and I want to make that really clear because last week we talked about the money ball thing, right? Where finding the right metric for your goals is such, and we 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 talk about this when we when we talk through our uh, the, you know the, our, our pyramid where we talk about user indicators and secondary indicators and primary indicators, which are goals. We've we've talked about this. It's finding that right metric that equals goodness. It's not just page views, and it's not just clicks on the landing page that convert into leads. It is not that. It, it is so much more than that. And really taking time to understand what that metric is to improve your process and ultimately get to a much better result. And as you just said, a more loyal customer, uh, a more valuable customer, one that will talk about us more frequently, that is such a key thing to understand and that's where you can afford to have the patience. Because a lot of people will go, wow, two years, holy smokes, we can't go two years out on a limb before we find out if this thing's going to work or not. And the answer to that is, of course you can't. But what you can do is start to identify the key indicators that are at least indicating that you're on the right path. Right? So mm -hmm. if, we under if we start to understand our consumer and we start building an audience and we start watching that audience over time, and at least give ourselves a full sales cycle or a few sales cycles to start to let that trickle through, we can start to understand, are we creating better customers? Are we creating more valuable customers? And what are the metrics within that that really point us to that direction? And I, I, I think that's just fabulous advice. Well, and, and the last thing I would say on this is he sort of myth busts a little bit in this. And, so, and we talk yeah. about it a lot, but a lot of people still don't believe it, that the best promotion um, the distribution vehicle you have is email. And it's been that way for a long, long time. Yeah. And a lot of us think, oh, social. When we've talked about social all the time here, but you know, so the email and SEO and critical building blocks are still important. The other thing I would say is, and he goes through this. There's not one way to do this, but the right. only. Exactly but what's right. the consistency? And this is like this last slide. The consistency is, what does he say on slide seventy six? You gave up way too soon. That's almost to a T. And that's the thing yeah. is, and we talk about this all the time, why do most brands fail at their content marketing approach? Number one reason, way before the quality of content, is that they stopped. And yeah. that's the thing that you know we just preach. It's like, boy, you've got to, you could iterate and test and whatever, but come, you've got to publish on a consistent basis. And if you don't, you'll never give yourself an opportunity. So yeah. great presentation. So nice job, Rand. Great Thanks, Nanette. Nanette. Yeah, Nanette. Great job, Nanette. Appreciate yeah. the sense. Yeah. yeah, very good. Okay, well, for our uh, international friends, um, especially those down under, um, down in Oz and New Zealand, um, interesting article from 
a content marketing agency, actually, so, you know, all irony duly noted here, um, talking about a survey they conducted that says the C-suite now in Australia and New Zealand is backing up their positive feelings toward content marketing. And they go through this study, of course, and uh, we'll put the link in the show notes, um, as we always do. And their conclusions, you know, at a very high level, basically said that three quarters, so 75% of respondents to their content marketing survey, said that their C-level executives in their organizations were either positive or very positive about content marketing. And yet, only 18% of the survey participants had some sort of employee or colleague with a content or content marketing uh, in their job title, and only half of them had a company blog. Um, so, what did you make of these uh, these, these well, results? I mean, they 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 sound very similar and familiar. Yeah, we we've covered. I mean, we've covered it in our Australian report a couple of things. Castleford was the sponsor of this. Castleford was a great supporter of ours at um, Content Marketing World Sydney. So, a shout out. I d- I'm going to pick yeah. on them a little bit. So, I mean, I'm going to be as nice as I can about it. You download the full report. I've got to give information to get the full report. I yeah. would have probably let this thing go free, and then if they wanted to use it as a lead generation vehicle, I'd put it on SlideShare, and then when people want to download it, then they could get the, their, the name and the data. I would have done it that way because <laughs> I think this, this spreads a little bit more. They would have got more coverage if they had done it that way. But, hey, you know, what do I know? Uh, that's what I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you do? What but, do yeah, you hey, do? you know what? It's a great piece of content. Don't – I mean, I, I can't get to it. I have to give a lot – fill in a lot of fields to get this. I think they should spread it. They spent a lot of time on this. Let, let's go ahead and share this thing out. Um, I'm not as concerned about 18% having a colleague with no, content or content marketing because who cares? Like, it could be right. marketing. It could be PR. It could be, you know, corporate comm. I don't care who's doing it. There's a lot of people in the organization do it. And I don't even care about, even though I think that number, you know, when they when you say 52% had a company blog, I think I've got to go into who filled this out. That would tell me that there's more smaller businesses and larger businesses because almost every larger business we work with has multiple blogs. Yeah. So they're, they're probably targeting a little bit uh, smaller group, but there's not one, you know, who, blog doesn't matter. It's, it, it, there's a lot of different ways to get there. Um, the, here's the thing that that's true in whatever country the, the takeaway is: you don't need to get buy-in for this anymore. Every for the most part, the, pretty much the C level gets it. They understand through, f- simply enough through their own behavior that they need yeah. to be doing this. It's my concern is is that they'll start it with, oh, let's go do a blog or let's go do some content activity, and we, they don't do what we just talked about. They don't have a strategy. They don't, they don't then set a process based on goals that make sense. They don't have increments with, with every quarter or every six months that they say, here are the metrics, here's our hypothesis and the metrics for how we get there. That's what, when we were over in Australia, that's what we saw a lot of. We saw a lot of people doing content marketing and a lot of people struggling with their hypothesis behind why they're actually do it and what objectives uh, that are going to move the business in a positive way. That's, that's my take. Well- yeah, well, and I think, uh, you know, interestingly enough, you know, we're, we are now going through some of the results we're doing for next week's executive forum, which theoretically is bringing together uh, some of the biggest and brightest brands on the mm-hmm. planet um, up in San Francisco to talk through what's really the leading factors in content marketing process. In other words, what's really happening in, in big brands and 
the the forward leaning sort of thinkers in that space, and I think we're going to walk away with some with some great information there. But the interesting thing is, when we uh, some of the results that are coming in from the study that we did point to exactly that, where there is a lot of early success uh, and still a lot of confusion about how the actual process is going to scale throughout an organization. So, to the point of you know, they talk about that these are roles that are getting subsumed into. Uh, existing people. So there's no shock there that there's no content or content marketing titles in the organization because, quite frankly, it's these are roles getting, you know, absorbed into the email marketing manager or the PR communication specialist or, you know, VP of marketing. And these titles are, are just taking over the process part of this. But there even that is happening in sort of an ad hoc, very, uh, in some cases, disjointed way. So it's it's still early innings in terms of a of a scalable process. In well, the we're at a point, I mean, don't you think that we're going to be at a point within a couple of years that you say, okay, I'm the director of marketing and that director of marketing person is going to be responsible for more publishing than more traditional marketing? You know, here's the thing. I don't know. I mean, I'm changing my mind a little bit on this, even as we speak. And as I sort of work on some stuff that we're, you know, that you and I obviously know a lot about, but we're working on some things to debut at Content Marketing World this year, which, uh, which should be a lot of fun and insight, hopefully. But as I work through this, one of the things that I'm, I'm wondering if this becomes a function of marketing or whether it becomes sort of a cross-functional, separate kind of process um, that feeds into marketing. Because it's certainly some things that we're seeing now is, as – you know, marketing goes about the things that it has to do from the sort of traditional advertising, communications, PR, marketing things. And as content becomes such a central piece of the entirety of the customer's journey, in many ways, it almost feels like a very cross-functional, separate organization that might exist in many in many businesses. So I'm 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 a little right now today, literally in May. I'm a little I'm a little up in the air about it, and, and you know, check back with me in three months about how I feel. I'm. <clears throat> Boy, you know what's funny is you you and I are so in deep in this, and we're still trying to figure it out. I mean, this is gonna, yeah, exactly. and this is moving way too fast. I mean, the the New York Times things. It just, I mean, when reading that today, I really just flipped on my head, and now I'm really thinking about what does the structure really look like? And I'm all on this thing. And just, I was looking at the just a side note that's relevant. I'm looking at the speakers coming in for Content Marketing World. Some of the greatest examples, brand examples that you'll ever want to see. And then I'm looking at it, Robert, and I'm saying, wow, they really put a lot of time and effort to create a certain repeatable content process. But how much of that asset are they leaving on the ground and not picking up after it and not looking at how to leverage that throughout the rest of the organization? And then I read, you know, I read the New York Times thing, and now it's really hitting home. And I'm like, wow, we are creators. And this is the agency mentality, right? We're creating big content, I guess is a better, better way to put it. Big content, expensive content, really putting a lot of energy and, and human resources into the content. But then we, we hope for this big push. We promote it as best we can, and then it's done, and then we go on to the next piece of big content. We can't right. do that anymore. We literally can't yeah. do that anymore. We have to figure out we can, if we end up like the New York Times, we don't have, we're not telling a thousand stories a day where we can still support ourselves by it. We'll kill ourselves if we do that and, and spend all our resources on that kind of content. And that's why I think, you know, ultimately what we're talking about here is a new function in the business. Yep. Now, whether that's actually a marketing function or not, 
you know, I mean, as much as we both love the term content marketing, it may ultimately, we may find itself that, it, that, that content marketing as a function in the business is adjacent to marketing, but becomes more of a, uh, you know, a practice that is adjacent to it, for, you know, like PR, right? Like corporate communications, like, you know, it, it becomes a new muscle in the organization that becomes really good at making the organization a media company and, and just has to be treated as a separate, you know, it's a separate part of the, of the business because quite frankly, it is. Well, that's what we're seeing now with, the, with the bigger brands. And we're, yeah, you know, exactly. The Red Bull Media House is a great example. The Kraft right? Foods, the Coca Colas of the yeah, world, exactly. because there's so much other stuff that happens in marketing. It's like, and by the way, in those companies, it's still real. Even in the Red Bulls of the world, they still do a lot of traditional stuff. So that's right. Yeah. That's yeah, right. Good. All right. Well, okay. So moving on to the next story here. Um, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago. We talked about we had a, a, a wonderful note, and uh, forgive me, I'm forgetting her name right off the top of my head here. But she she told us about the Australian Labor Party getting into the news business, and how she was looking for. We ended up, you know, providing a quote for her story as she was talking through this. And here we go. Last week. The Tea Party gets into the news business. It's here. It's, there you it go. Front and center for the U.S., right? So this comes from Business Week, uh, the article this, uh, this last week. Um, and the Heritage Foundation, so for those of you uh, international or just quite frankly don't care about U.S. politics, is, is really one that has given the Republican Party here, the conservative party here, uh, quite a, you know, a, a stir, as it were. Um, because uh, they are really the Tea Party, and the Tea Party is is one that is really a sort of in between libertarian and conservative here, and not to get into politics at all. But basically, they have come out and they've said, "Look, we don't like any of the mainstream news organizations anymore, so we're going to start our own." So, starting on June third, they're going to start publishing their own newspaper called the Daily Signal. Um, it's going to be digital only, digital news site, and they're, as they say, their primary focus is going to be on what they say is straight reporting. Um, and the quote that uh, from the source there at, that's going to be publishing this thing said, we came to the realization that all mainstream media really had abdicated the responsibility to do the news and do it well, uh, says uh, Jeffrey Lysot, I guess is his name, uh, VP of Strategic Communications at the Heritage Foundation, and they will serve as the publisher of this site. Um, and it aims to rectify the conservative perception that mainstream news slants to the left. We plan to do political and policy news, not with a conservative bent, but with just true, straight-down-the-middle journalism. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that I, you know, we'll see, right? I mean, it's not out yet, so we'll see. I mean, what did you, I mean, I mean here it is, the political parties getting into the content marketing game. I, I'm, I'm my, the first thing when I read this, I'm like, why why did it take so long? I mean, there's no barrier. Yeah, there's no I, it really. It's actually, not yeah, really. It's not really a news story. I mean, there's no barriers yeah. to entry. They, they've right. known for a long time. They don't get what they would call fair coverage of what right. they do. I exactly. mean, it's a lot of mocking. I mean, just look at watch any Daily Show with John Stewart, and uh, you'll get your sure. fair share of what the, what the country thinks of the Tea Party in a lot of respects. So why not do this? And I think about any business person. I mean, there's an opportunity here right now that you can cover the news in a certain industry in a certain niche. You have every all the resources to do that. So I think what they're doing is probably a smart thing. And they'll, yeah. if they do it right and they do it consistently over a period of time, they'll get a following. How can it not help the mission of their organization? 
if they yeah. do it well. Um, and they'll get a lot of supporters, and they'll pro- I'm sure as they tweet Fox's stuff, Fox will tweet their stuff, and at least they'll have a start of <laughs> of a little organic promotion there. So, well, theoretically, if they're going to be true to their content mission, as they've just said, they should be they should be right down the middle doing MSNBC stuff too. So, I mean, it's really it'll be an, it'll be fascinating to watch this. Really, um, you know, as I said uh, when we when we were interviewed for the Australian piece, you know. The, the secret to doing this is going to be super transparency, right? So as, you know, as, soon as, it, as soon as it feels like a sales pitch, yeah, I think their audience even, you know, unless they go you know, for the, you know, just, the, just the, 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 the straight point of view, you know, like we just don't care. We know our audience is going to love this, and so this is where we're going. And in which case they'll have a, you know, a small niche audience. And that, and that may, quite frankly, be where a lot of newspapers are. I just... I don't see a reason why they couldn't actually do. I mean, I know what you and I know what's going to happen with this, right? We know we know the slant that they're going to take. Wouldn't it be something if they actually tried to be impartial? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> it would be really well. It would be really interesting. I mean, it kind of flies in the face of the thing that we talked about in the beginning of the show, which this you know sort of this this idea that it's really hard to do true objectivity in today's you know in today's landscape. I, I, you know, but. I don't. Sorry, I certainly don't begrudge them. If I were them, I'd be doing exactly. I mean, I think it's a an incredibly smart yeah. strategy. I think it really. I, and I would. I hope they uncover the issues. I think it's better spent that they do as well as they can an impartial job of reporting on the news, but just cover the issues that are important to their objectives. They don't. That's exactly it. All right, right. If they can do this in a way that has other organizations sharing what they're doing instead of looking at them as this fringe element out there if they can actually become mainstream that's the real you know like preaching to the choir is not a big deal like who cares right i mean that you just become sort of another politically slanted website but if they can actually deliver something that people want to share and want to and become a a a content movement they actually could probably start doing what they really want to do is change some beliefs well look at i mean I don't know what you would think about Upworthy, but for the most part, Upworthy probably leans well to the left, right? Probably much more liberal than like a Daily Signal would be. But it works for them because they talk about the issues that are important to them and they share those things with their certain take that are important to them. They're not covering all the news. They're covering just the news that's important for what their goals are. I think that, and that's, that's important to, I mean... You can't, as a business, you can't go in and say, I'm going to be a horizontal news organization. It's not going to be successful. But if you say, here's the things that we need to cover because nobody else is talking about them, there's an opportunity. Yeah. In the, well, in the spirit of Upworthy, how about this? The most amazing advertiser ever. You'll <laughs> never believe what they've produced next. Click here. <laughs> How about that? I love it. I love it. Sponsor this Absolutely. Week. And then we couldn't, we <laughs> wouldn't be able to do this without our sponsor. Uh, thanks to Emma again for sponsoring. You can go, reach them at myemma.com. And I've loved Emma. I mean, Emma's been a sponsor at a lot of, uh, of different trade shows that I've been to. And I love them because they're just real people. I don't know if you met any of the people from Emma, but they're not, it's not corporate. It's not stuffy. And what they've done for the show, and we've been promoting it on contentmarketinginstitute.com as well, they have this amazing, um, and I don't know, we, we talked about this last week. I guess it's an infographic. It's sort of a yeah. ebook slash infographic on the 18 email stats 
to know that you really, really need to know, and they do it in, in the easiest way possible. And you and I both got a number of nuggets out of this thing. So I think that if you're looking for, you know, if you're looking at anything that's going to help you, then go to your boss and say, hey, we need to do something regarding our email. We need to look at email differently, or we need to look at how we're looking at mobile responsiveness, or how do we look at social integration tools, or whatever the case is. Um, They've got it in this this email ebook that they do. You can get it. It's just a it fantastic is. piece. It really they did a good is. job. You can get it at this short link, uh, bitly.com slash email dash PNR, all lowercase. That's bitly.com slash email dash PNR. Uh, you can get there directly, or we'll have this in the show notes. It's called 18 Email Stats Every Marketer Needs to Know. And uh, once again, thanks to Emma. And they basically, if you're not familiar with Emma, they offer email marketing services for brands that really want to grow and they feature mobile responsiveness templates which by the way are super handy uh social integration tools and i i don't i mean we talked about this last week they have the concierge services i want to look more into the concierge services because that sounds like something if you don't know a lot about (laughs) email especially that i need to call and get me some concierge services so once again Thanks. Hello, sir. Would you like some? uh... (laughs) So special thanks to our friends at Emma for sponsoring this week. Really super appreciate it. It's just fabulous. Really, really great. Really great. Um, All right. Well, now it is time for the show that is usually our favorite part of the show, our rants and raves section, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave um, to talk about something that is really bugging us or something that we absolutely love. And this, uh, this week we have... A rant, and for the sake of time, we have decided that we're going to stick with one rant. Um, I'm going to go through this, and uh, it, it is, uh, and, and sort of set the tone yep. here, and then let Joe comment on it accordingly. Um, this is something we introduced a couple of shows ago, four or five shows ago, um, and a couple of uh, our audience members uh, have been urging us to continue the discussion on it. And it's one I look, we we you know, despite even today's story, we are never political uh, here. But this is one area where we really feel strongly and feel like it's it needs to be said. So it's a rant for sure. And big hat tip to Douglas Burdett um, who sent me the link here. Um, I had seen it, but a big hat tip to him to, for, for tipping me off to this. And basically last week, the FCC, um, our lovely friends in Washington, approved uh, the look at, at net neutrality, which is basically a 1984 uh, government-speak way of saying they're not only going to allow for the fast lane and the slow lane for and really sort of look at the ending of net neutrality – um, but uh, but you know they're really going to take an active role in sort of making sure that this this happens. So uh, you know just just quickly to give a a, a level set here. So back in January, uh, the, there was a federal court that rejected regulations um, that said that ISPs can handle information in differing ways. But it wasn't that they said that the FCC couldn't insist on net, net neutrality. In other words, they didn't say, look, you know, you can go out and insist on net neutrality for all of these people. But what they rather said, this court said, was that the FCC had made its point under the wrong regulatory framework. So they basically said, you know, it's like the CEO going, yeah, I agree to your marketing plan, but you spelled digital wrong. And so, so let me translate. Insofar as what the, what the companies are trying to do, is they're trying to get to the the the, the what what the, 
the FCC is saying, well, we want innovation in the market and we want predictability in the market. So they basically they want innovation insofar as the companies want to allow it. In other words, the Verizons and the AT&Ts and the Comcasts of the world. And they want predictability for the companies that are providing that service, right? The Verizons and, you know, so it's not predictability for you and me, the consumer. It's predictability and innovation for the big broadband carriers that are actually uh, now carrying most of our uh, internet, uh, internet traffic. And so this week, the big clarification that came, dun, 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 was the FCC chairman who says that this new proposal would establish behavioral har- uh, you know, regulations that behavioral harmful to consumers or competition by limiting the openness of the Internet, and it will not be permitted. And they said, we have new rules, and the new rules are basically going to be that all ISPs have got to transparently disclose, uh, to disclose to all their subscribers the policies around their network that no legal content can be blocked, and that ISPs may not act in a commercially unreasonable manner to harm the Internet, including uh, in favoring the traffic from an affiliated entity. So in other words, they say they have to tell you what they're doing, they have to not be able to block uh, content, and that they can't basically favor their traffic over others. Well, yeah, they can't favor their traffic over others, but they can basically gate others' traffic. In other words, they can outright... uh, uh, say to Google or to somebody who's serving you video, you know, we know you love Google YouTube videos, but that's going to require our gold package in order for you to be able to watch YouTube videos at the speed at which you need without it buffering every two seconds. So I, you know, for those that know me, know me, I, I am not a political guy, but this is something that I just absolutely think is, is, is crazy if we don't sort of put up an uproar in because most communities, especially those in rural communities, don't have the choice. You don't have a choice of saying, you know what? I don't want Comcast or I don't want Time Warner or I don't want this. And with AT&T's purchase of DirecTV this week for a gajillion dollars, the choices are only getting smaller. And I think this is something that we need to be paying attention to. So there you go. There's my rant. For yeah, this. I guess this is my, just my wrap. Thank you for the, the overview. My wrap up here is this is not there's not a this is a proposed ruling right they're getting set up just to they're just sending you a hint that they they're they're this is going to happen this is not happening right. they're just sending you a hint it's not happened yet not it's happened not, yet not past but, tense. Not but past they're basically tense. doing what they can to shake it down so that if it comes down we gave you fair warning is what this seems like that's right that's right well and it's basically they're what they're doing is they're 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 employing a very i think smart strategy by trying to make it sound in as double speak a way as they can, like they care. Um, and so there's, you know, so by setting these rules, if you read them at their surface, you go, ah, okay, that sounds pretty reasonable. But if you start reading between the lines of what the companies will be able to do b- between those rules, well, then it becomes very clear that they're, that they're going to, you know, if you, if you have really thought Netflix sucked of late, you know, because of the bandwidth issues, Guess what? It's only going to get worse. And, and and by the way, that means Netflix gets more expensive because they now have to pay Comcast for extra bandwidth. Blah 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 blah. It's it, it just it's not it's not a consumer friendly move at all. And for us as content marketers, the only reason I care about this as a content marketer because as we start delivering more content and as our brands start becoming much more uh, intricately intertwined in the media delivery of how we deliver content to our consumers this is a big this is a but big what will probably happen just into using your netflix example netflix will probably pay of they'll course, pay the they toll will. 
to be the priority content. They'll get the fast lane and it'll be, uh, you know, people that are doing blogs, like businesses that are doing blogs and trying to get that'll be the stuff that doesn't get through the way it should get through. It's everybody That's else's right. content. Yeah. Yeah. I worry less about that than I do about, uh, you know, basically content being suboptimal, the experience being suboptimal for my uh, for my consumers because I happen to be on a competing bandwidth provider, right? You know, because my website happens to be here or because I'm located in this part of the country or because I'm serving up this part, this kind of content. And quite frankly, they're, you know, it, it quite frankly could work the other way, right? Where they start favoring things like YouTube and the, yep. pe- the people who can really pay for that access and folks that are at the smaller end of that spectrum where they deem non-essential content, quote unquote, will get, will get the short end of the stick. So I actually worry less um, about the consumer side of things than I do about the business side of things. It sounds un-American, the whole yeah, thing. It's not good. Yeah. yeah, it's not good. All right. It is not good. All right, so that's our rant. Um, we actually had a, a good question from the audience uh, this week, Joe. Um, Bruce McDuffie, who's a friend of the show and a friend of CMI for sure, um, had a question for us. He came in through email, actually, and has emailed both of us with the, at This Old Marketing. Um, and his question was, and I'd love to get your answer mm-hmm. on this, your take. Um, he says, I've been discussing content marketing with some industrial companies who sell primarily through distributors. Um, so what is your take on content marketing effectiveness for a company who does not connect with or own the relationship with the end user of their product? Is there any anecdotal evidence of effectiveness or lack of effectiveness? Um, love to get your well, take. I, and so thank you, Bruce. For Bruce, yeah, thank you. By the way, Bruce is, um, is teaching our manufacturing industry lab at Content Marketing World this year. So thank you, wow, Bruce. Um, you know, I've got a couple examples for you. Look at... Uh, Look at my Ford magazine or any of the auto magazines who work through distributors or look at, by the way, look at John Deere's The Furrow magazine. They work through all distributors. I think the key is, is that if you are the manufacturer, yes, there there sometimes can be struggles because the distributors are the one that want to sell their product and they probably have many lines, not just yours. But if you can work through them and deliver a piece of valuable information that's going to help them and help you at the same time, they're more than willing to work with you on giving their database up. So you can do all types of, let's just look at it in print for a second because it's an easy example. You could do all kinds of variable print opportunities specifically with distributors on that. Um, I think that the goal, Bruce, would be really sit down with your distributors and find out what their pain points are. From a content standpoint, most likely you have many more resources as the manufacturer, industrial manufacturer, than the distributor does. Sometimes it's funny how kind of the we feel as manufacturers, the distributors have all the power, and you've got a lot of distribution organizations in that supply chain there that want to keep as much power as they can. But honestly, if we figure out what their pain points are from a content standpoint, maybe you can be the helper. And they're more than willing to, and this is, I think, what Andrew Davis, author of Brandscaping, would call a, a Brandscaping moment. How can you partner with a distributor to cr- put together ongoing content packages for the customer base? That's exactly what I would do. And I think a lot of, at least a lot of the manufacturers I've worked with, they don't sit down with distributors long enough to really figure out what they're struggling with on a marketing basis or on a simple communication basis with their customers. I think that that's, you know, I shoot for years. I, you know, we work with Lennox 
uh, H the HVAC uh, manufacturer, and they worked with a number of distributors to help the contractors create better blogs. So they actually created a program so that the end users who are buying the product actually could communicate better. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's all kinds of different ways to do it, but you've got to ask the questions. Uh, do you yeah, have- and I would, I, I would, the only thing I would add to that because I think that's just great. I think that's a great advice is that we've seen we've seen a lot of different uh, examples of that from industrial side for sure. So we've industrial manufacturing, you know, going out to distribution and and also you know business to consumer sides of manufacturing. So for example, we worked with a, you know a, a pet company where they were getting a lot. They were actually sourcing the actual distributors and retail channel didn't have the wherewithal to actually produce a lot of content. So we're looking at the manufacturers to actually produce expertise, thought leadership, how to training content for some of the uh, for some of the things that they were manufacturing and using that to populate some of the things. So it's almost not dissimilar from what you do as a manufacturer and service your distributors with product. You're actually servicing them with content as well to actually create that value for the consumer. Amen, brother. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a quickly time for This Old Marketing, the namesake of the show. And this week we have a really interesting one, I thought. Um, yeah. Uh, well, what, I mean, what, well yeah. this, you know, it's interesting. I had to check because I thought we covered it before because it's sort of a notorious example. But we haven't talked about it. And I first heard about this example from our good friend Jay Bear, uh, author yeah. of Utility. And Jay's been blogging about this example for, I think, well over a year. Um in his post, and we'll put this post, five lessons from the best example of content marketing ever. And Jay is in love with McDonald's, our food, your questions, but it's only in Canada. So it's McDonald's Canada. And do you know the details about yeah. this, Robert? Or I- I've heard about it. Yeah, I've heard about the, I heard the one case study where they actually dispelled some of the myths about the pink goo or slimy yeah. pink or whatever the heck that's. And what's yeah. the secret sauce and whatever. But what's yeah, exactly. interesting is, yeah. and we'll put this uh, post from, from Jay in here as well as an example, and of course the direct link. So basically the whole idea is it's FAQ 2.0 where McDonald's Canada is answering every question from their consumers they could possibly have. And by the way, some of the questions are crazy, but some and but most of them are real questions. They want to know, you know, what's in the special sauce, and you know what they did? They absolutely said, "Here are the ingredients that are in the special sauce." And it's not, yeah. you know, and you just have to figure out the amounts, I guess. Uh, but what's interesting is that they started this program with 600 questions ready to ready in advance. Because because yeah. they already knew all the questions that were going on because they li- they listened <laughs> right. they listened they exactly. did a whole listening program and they said this is the top six hundred questions we were ready to go and then they've answered on top of that another sixteen thousand plus more um, and what's interesting is so let's say right now um, they've got about twenty thousand total questions answered and three point one million questions have been read so three point one million views wow. off of that I mean that's it's just fantastic. They've got a whole program around it. And the other li- learning from this, Robert, is they put a lot of marketing in it. They put a lot of promotion so people could find it and they'd know where to go to uh, ask their question. And I really do think it's more of an FAQ 2.0. But as a business, maybe today this is how we have to answer our customers' questions. And it's um, it's an interesting case study. So thanks to Jay for uh, for promoting this in, in his book, Utility. Uh, so hats, a great great book, by the way. And, uh, and we'll promote Convince and Convert. And then this is McDonald's Canada, and the program is Our Food, Your Questions. Another This Old Marketing example. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Well, where – I mean, you got – you're off to Sweden. Off to Sweden. Um, 
And then next week we have dun 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 executive forum in San Francisco. I can't believe it really came together. You know, it's funny. You and I have these harebrained ideas, and we say, "Oh, we could get fifty of the best (laughs) brands in the world in the room and talk content marketing." You know what? We did it. So it's 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 gonna be fantastic. And of course, we'll have a lot to report on the podcast. But looking forward to hanging out with you again. Are you going anywhere this week? I am not. No, I'm home this week. I'm actually working on Executive Forum all week, so I'm going to be working on some presentations and some of the fun activities and exercises we have planned for those folks. So, yeah, it's going to be a great. Well, week. good thing somebody's doing the work because I'm flying and not doing anything. <laughs> I'm re- I'm reading the New York Times report. That's what I'm going to be doing. There it is. All right. Well, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. We're signing off. Remember, if you'd like your question answered on the show, do tag us on Twitter at hashtag thisoldmarketing or like Bruce did, send an email to thisoldmarketingatcontentinstitute.com. This was episode number 27. Also, if you like this episode, we do hope you'll consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher.com. All those links in the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.